This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And thank you to our special sponsors, iris.co.uk. Martin, you saw a great video just recently from Iris, didn't you? Yeah, well, I think people don't know Iris is they were ahead of the game for MTD phase one because they were the first software there to be listed as approved by the HMRC TD filing. And guess what? They're fully prepared for the next. So they've got an MTD webinar on demand that you can catch up with at any time. Rob, where do they go to to see this? It's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. That stands for making tax digital for our international listeners. And there's some great stuff there that you need to know to guide you through the whole making tax digital initiative. So iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Right, Martin? That's right. So wherever you are in your journey, Iris know that they have the knowledge and tools to help you in the next steps. That's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. And welcome to our expert interview today. I'm thrilled to have with me an old friend, Matt Baldwin. Hello, sir. Hello, hello, Rob. Matt, for people that haven't come across you, tell us what you do and what you're so passionate about. I'm a journalist by background, but for the last 25 years, I've worked with professional services firms, creating PR programs, content programs, and thought leadership campaigns. A couple of things I get really excited about. I love helping professionals write better content, more engaging content for their clients. But outside of work as well, I, I waste my time, as my wife says, with an old Triumph Herald car and a few sheep and chickens. <laughs> Why do accountants need good content? It's absolutely critical and fundamental. I mean, they're dealing quite often with a complex subject matter and clients come in all different shapes and sizes. They could be people like you and me, Rob. They could be very sophisticated grown-up companies or those just starting building a business. So being able to communicate clearly is essential. And a lot of the time that communication, particularly over the last two years or so, has been through the written medium. So being able to write well, I think, is absolutely fundamental to what they do. We're going to dip into thought leadership today to drive business development. We'll go into terms in a moment, but just generally, Matt, what kind of shape do you feel the accountancy profession is in right now? We've been through a lot, haven't we? Absolutely. It's a profession that has definitely been through an awful lot, but it's also a profession that's proved its worth, I think. Um, It has been so important to businesses and private individuals as they've gone through what has been one of the most unsettling and uncertain periods in a generation, um, if not generations. And and it's still here. I mean, just the events in Eastern Europe and in Russia over the last two weeks have just shown that that uncertainty still remains. And accountants are quite often the first port of call for businesses um, to help guide them through these uncertain periods. And with what you do at Coast Communications, you deal with the, the media and the PR side of accounting firms. You also do a lot of thought leadership with them to position them as the firm of choice, experts in their field. So let's start by looking to the Matt Baldwin Dictionary of Life and Business and coming up with a definition for thought leadership, because it could mean so many things. It can do. And it is one of those uh, phrases, words that is overused. Yes. Like influencer. It is. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the way we um, view thought leadership is it's it's a marketing tool that drives business development activity at its most basic. Um, it can be research led, but not always. And I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit later on uh, in the show. The, the key thing with thought leadership is it, it's a way for a firm to really shift the dial in its thinking and its clients thinking 
forward. It's to move that conversation on from the day-to-day to the issues and challenges that a business might be facing at some point in the future. It's sort of the kind of program that should shape future decision making rather than reflecting on what has happened in the past. It will invariably be accompanied by a report, an event, a PR push, and and those are good things. But really, it's there to drive meaningful conversations with clients and and hopefully develop and win new business. Defining business development is an important thing as well, because accountants as a breed, they're not comfortable with the word selling. They're not comfortable with that angle to their role where they have to bring in new business. They're often quite happy just doing the work. So there is an end point to this, isn't there, in business development? Just define that for us in your mind. Well, I think, um, I mean, this is where thought leadership can really help. It sort of makes that selling easier by not selling. It's there as a conversation starter with clients. And actually, it's getting over that first hurdle of how do you start a conversation with a prospective client or an existing client you want more work from can be the biggest hurdle to get over. And thought leadership can really help individuals do that. It is at its heart selling, but actually in a very soft and a way that I think many professionals find so much easier. It does make so much sense. Can you give us some examples of what you mean? There are three, I thought, that I could share with you that we've been involved in, but at very different points of the profession. So uh, one is um, KPMG are in the middle of a phenomenal thought leadership program looking at global philanthropy. And you can find that on their website if you wanted to explore that further. But it's, um, it's a global campaign. It's looking at how philanthropists are using their capital, their wealth, to change communities, to change um, society. It's a sort of disruptive philanthropy, I guess um, you could call it. At a, at a slightly at the other end of the scale, there's a, a fantastic piece of research that uh, the accountants Hillier Hopkins create every year. Um, Hillier Hopkins, for those of you who don't know, they're a firm along the M4 corridor, M40 corridor rather. And every year for the last decade, they've done a survey of golf clubs and looking at the financial health of golf clubs, but looking at the challenges that clubs will be facing over the next uh, two to three years. And it's become the go-to piece of research for golf clubs. And then sort of in the middle, Creston Reed, one of the uh, larger members of the Creston International Network in London and the Southeast, they've just embarked on a campaign called Shaping Your Future. Um, and it's sort of in recognition of coming out of post-COVID. And their campaign is looking at a, a program of activity over 18 months. So it's quite an ambitious program with an exceptionally long tail. And again, we can explore, maybe touch on some of those points a little bit later on. So they're three very different campaigns in size, in scale and in focus. That maybe gives a little bit of a hint of what you can achieve with thought leadership. They're great examples. And what strikes me of those is that all three firms are trying to dictate the conversation to own the narrative, to say this is important and here is why. And ultimately, here's what we're doing about it, which is why you should talk to us. Absolutely. They want to be that authoritative voice on those issues, on those concerns for those clients. So how are accounting firms using thought leadership? You've given some examples there, but there must be some general strategies around this. I think the the landscape of the last two years, the COVID landscape, has really changed the way firms are looking at thought leadership. I mean, if you cast your mind back, a lot of marketing activity would have been event 
client-led activity, that opportunity to go out, spend time with your clients and get to understand them, that changed, I mean, pretty much overnight. And what we found is accountancy firms are adopting much more content-led marketing programs to create those conversations that perhaps were happening um, pre-COVID. And thought leadership is one of those ways that they are using content to really own the space and, and develop and push those conversations. These campaigns, they, they're either focusing on the very, very big issues that are facing society today, like the future of work, the continuing impact of maybe technology, that. ESG agenda, but right down to the very focused sort of issues that groups of clients are facing. So you'll see campaigns emerging that focus very much on one particular industry group. I mean, Hillier Hopkins and the Golf Club Survey um, is a really good example there. But what they all have in common, these campaigns, is that they are there to start a conversation with clients. Yes, profile is important. Yes, the events online are important. But the primary driver is and should be to start those meaningful conversations. If a firm is thinking of getting into thought leadership, driving more content, there's presumably a, a process that you should go through. What should we write about? What are our areas of expertise? How do we find the right themes for our thought leadership programs? It's the million dollar question. <laughs> we always um, suggest that firms look at start with three areas. First is the audience. Who is it you want to reach with this campaign? Is it all clients? Is it a group of clients? Is it private individuals? Whatever that might be. The next bit, what is it you're trying to sell? Or what are the service lines or the sector lines you're trying to push? And then the third bit is, where do we have a point of view? Do we feel passionate about a particular issue, a particular point? And actually, if you have those as three circles in a Venn diagram, if you find that bit where they all interlink in the middle. That is your sweet spot for finding the right theme. Now, um, we help firms do that. I mean, as you can imagine, Rob, um, we run these ideas labs. It's sort of a short interactive sort of creative process where we get partners, other uh, members of the firm, really thinking hard about those questions and then trying to translate the answers into what a content and thought leadership program might look like. Start with your audience, look at what you're trying to sell, and then thirdly, your point of view. That makes so much sense. But as you say, partners, individuals, even marketing departments can get so close to what they do, they can't see objectively what is needed in a thought leadership program. Absolutely. And we can help them do that. But it's actually not us delivering a thought leadership program, Rob. It's, it's us facilitating the firm, its partners, its marketing uh, team to come up with their own campaign, something that's special, unique to them. Talk to us about the importance of research, because I see weak thought leadership in firms just commenting on what's going on or sharing a government link saying this is important, but that's not thought leadership. Really good thought leadership programs are underpinned by research. There are plenty of ways you can approach that. Some of our firms, they will buy in data from market research agencies. And there are now panels that you can buy into everything from sort of owner-managed businesses with a turnover of under 25 million. There are even panels where you can get OAPs who own dogs and, and really narrow down your survey research. I, I, I haven't been brave enough to suggest to any accountancy firm they survey uh, over 65s with dogs, but it may may well be missing a trick there. The data is there, Matt, though, isn't it? The data is there. So the, you can buy in this research. You develop your questions with a market research agency, and they will go out and guarantee the, the sample size you want. The difficulty there is it's an anonymous sample. You can't actually interact with that group after the research. Firms also turn to their clients as well, and that's a phenomenal 
single way, you've got a ready-made group there. But what we find is it can be really difficult for firms to get the numbers, the kind of sample size back to make the research worthwhile. But if, if a firm is confident it can do that, then absolutely, what a fantastic resource at their fingertips. I think one of the ones that I find most interesting, though, is actually the really deep dive in depth interviews. Um, so you've, you've landed at your subject and you, and you think, um, let's spend an hour with Rob really getting under the skin of your business, your issues around that particular theme. And you take these deep dive interviews and it needs a bit of heavyweight crunching of, of what you're being told. But the insights it gives you can create some fantastic content, some fantastic reports. But then also you've got that natural follow up with those that you interview. It can be time consuming, but you don't need to go to very large sample sizes is sort of 15, 20 people is a perfectly valid group of individuals to do deep dive interviews with. Whatever approach you take, you've got to road test your questions, your hypotheses of what it is you're trying to find, prove or disprove. And, and clients, in my experience, are really happy for you to run those surveys, run those questions by a small group of clients before you invest that time and effort into. But whatever approach you take, Rob, you've got to really understand what it is you want to try and find. What is it you are trying to get out of that research? Otherwise, you'll end up wasting time and money. And the outputs of this... We do surveys, we create big reports, we put on an event, we push it with PR, we create PDF documents, infographics. There's presumably some very big decisions to be made on what do we do with what we create? Yeah, there's a, a huge debate at the moment. Is the big heavyweight report dead? Do people really want it? And I think the way we consume information is changing, and there's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, now, I work with a, a partner organisation called Meridian West, and we did a quite a big, chunky piece of research in the middle of lockdown on how senior CC execs consume the information that they're sent to them by lawyers and accountants. And, and without the most in-demand content is short, snappy insights. Our inboxes, my inbox, yours, I'm sure, um, are full of content and, and things they need to act on. So if you can give them something really short, really snappy that they can act on, perfect. What they do want, however, our research children, is they still want that heavyweight report behind those shorter pieces. If they want more information, they want to be able to go and access it. And I guess the report just legitimises your claims and everything that you're saying and undermines the stats so that people can check it out if they want to. I, that makes sense. What about the claim, Matt, that yeah, we can create some IP or some thought leadership, put it in a webinar, but it's it's old very quickly. It's yesterday's newspapers. It's, it's not fit for purpose anymore because people are on to the next webinar and the next piece of thought leadership. Are there ways firms can extend the, the life of thought leadership? Absolutely. And I think if you can come up with a campaign that, that can run for months, um, if not longer, then you're onto a real winner. I mean, a classic example is PwC's CEO Pulse survey. I mean, it's done four times a year and has been done for, for nearly a decade, perhaps even longer. Uh, another is Deloitte's annual Crane survey, which I think is astonishingly in its 25th year. But there are ways that firms can extend the life of a campaign. I mean, one of the things we could suggest is maybe shorter Pulse surveys that you revisit every few months. So you're sort of creating sort of a benchmark of your original survey findings against how events are changing. Some of the really clever things we're seeing though, Rob, I mean, and these do cost a 
little bit of money is is creating benchmarks. So you're regularly surveying businesses, but allowing them to to compare their own findings against their peers. Um, and there's some really clever technology out there that allows you to create dashboards that a, a business can log into and see how they compare to their peers. And it allows them to go back time and time again as the data is updated. And actually that sort of personalized thought leadership is a, is a real holy grail for firms that can achieve that. But on a more modest budget, is just think about the content ideas and themes that will come out of your original piece of research. I mean, to give you an example, if your survey is 20 questions, you do your report based on that. Well, each question could merit its own piece of writing, uh, further explanation, further exploration a little bit down the line. So you can keep a program going over quite an extended period of time. The other thing as well to do is think about how you can cut and dice your data. If you're a national firm or a firm with a large regional footprint, look at maybe how it might work for just one particular county or region within your, your space or one industry sector or one group of clients. And actually, again, another really powerful tool is going to a client and saying, look, can we give you a personal briefing? on what our research means for your business. So there are many things that you can do over and above that event report PR sort of thought leadership model. And I'm really glad you made the distinction there between an event, a one-off and a campaign, because anybody can put out a blog post or an article or even a video, any firm can do that, but it's not necessarily part of an overall strategy or a theme or a topic you want to come to grips with or an area that you really want to own the narrative on, as we said. So it's thinking more strategically about what you put out, isn't it? It is, it is. And there is that time and place, um, of course, for those technical updates. I mean, if there's a VAT tribunal decision or change in government policy, then there is a need to tell clients what this means for their business. But that's sort of the day-to-day -day housekeeping kind of programs. The thought leadership really is that looking beyond the day-to-day -day and looking at what is going to happen tomorrow and in the years to come. And whose job is thought leadership, Matt? Do you feel, I'm thinking how this gets sold internally, that internal engagement. Are the marketing department doing it? Are the partners now expected to write blogs and do research? Whose job is it? Yeah, it's a really good question. And um, one of the challenges we find is if thought leadership is owned entirely by the marketing department, it can be very hard to get partners to buy into it. They think it's just a a marketing exercise, whereas we would always encourage partners to, uh, and, and other fee earners, you know, and, and I hate the phrase fee earner, but I can never find a better one, getting them involved from day one, getting them involved in deciding what that idea is, what the, the how the research is going to look, how that research is going to be used and what success looks like. And for the marketing department, yes, they're going to be there to drive the research, create the reports, create the events, the blogs, the PR programs. But actually, the, the marketing team should also be there to provide assets for their colleagues to help them have those discussions with clients. That could be creating a series of LinkedIn posts that individuals can share. It could be suggesting to a client, let's do a, a one client briefing around our research. So it's, it has to be a collaborative effort, not just owned by the marketing team. I'm thinking of examples of thought leadership that you put out yourself. You've got this professionals online magazine, haven't you? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the magazine um, is there very much to help uh, marketing and business development teams in accounting firms and law firms just celebrate some of the amazing things they do. And uh, I think I've worked with marketing teams for 20 plus years. I was a marketing director of a law firm. You're often behind the scenes. You're facilitating 
the marketing for your colleagues, not the visible marketing team that you might be in a, a B2B organization or a, a consumer company. So it's it's there just to help celebrate what these guys do week in, week out. And they do some amazing stuff, Rob. Really, really do. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. And how can firms measure the return on investment, the the outcomes, the results of thought leadership campaigns? Uh, it's a tough one to crack. It really is. And I think you've got to look at a number of measures and start looking at what those success measures are going to be right from day one. There's no point doing a campaign and then thinking, how are we going to measure it? Because those measures won't be built in. But you've got to have the traditional measures of bums on seats at an event, of how many downloads of a report and social media hits, press cuttings, all that kind of stuff. But I think where it gets really interesting is start to capture some of the anecdotal feedback that you'll get from walking the floors, talking to your colleagues. If an individual says, you'll never guess the kind of conversation we just had with Rob, he saw our report and shared it internally. That's fantastic to capture and share with your firm. If you can track sort of inquiries as well, and that is really tough for a lot of firms, then that is also gold dust when you go back as a marketing team to your firm saying, this is what we've achieved. Um, But the challenge there is those inquiries will tend to come into an individual partner, individual accountant, not to a central place. So it is tough to capture. Look at the anecdotal feedback. Spend time talking to your colleagues about how they used and the reaction they got from thought leadership. What advice would you give to the accountants listening who get everything that you're saying, maybe they've got to sell it to the marketing department, maybe they've got to sell it upwards to the partners, but they're hungry to put out great content. What are steps for them to gain the buy-in that they need? Talk to their marketing team. I think marketing teams are pretty good um, in most firms that I've come across. And Most accountants talk to the marketing department and say, do me this brochure or can we sponsor this event? This is a better kind of conversation you're talking about, isn't it? It is. And marketing teams love those conversations. I mean, yes, they know they've got to do the events. They've got to do the sponsorships and the brochures. But actually, marketing teams really want to get their hands dirty and spend time with their colleagues, helping them really understand and develop the kinds of conversations they want to have. So go to your marketing team, explain what you want to do, explain that you need their help to achieve this. And I would be very, very surprised if most marketing teams wouldn't welcome you with open arms. Well, we'll definitely get you on the show again and talk about how individuals themselves can become thought leaders and their roles in firms as being that obvious expert. But for the moment, Matt Baldwin, that's been superb. Thank you so much for your time and your insights today. Thank you very much for having me, Rob. Shout out to one of our newest commercial partners, it's Practice Ignition. How would you explain what those guys do? Businesses such as accounting and bookkeeping firms use Practice Ignition to one, help them grow, two, be more efficient, and three, create win-win client relationships. How global are these guys? There are nearly 5,000 accounting and professional services firms around the world who use Practice Ignition, and they do so to win new business with impressive digital proposals. They engage clients with a clear scope of work and get paid on time by automating payment collection. PI integrates with the leading business apps such as Gusto, QuickBooks, Xero, Zapier, and it does so to automate time-consuming tasks, allowing the practitioner to run their practice on autopilot and automate time-consuming tasks such as client onboarding or invoicing. 91% of their customers spend less time creating proposals and chasing signatures and payments 
87% were able to cancel other software subscriptions and 80% are fewer or no unpaid invoices at any given time. That's amazing. So if you're in the US, we'd say, say hello to zero account receivable. If you're in the UK, we'd say impressions that last payments made fast. And if you're in Australia, we'd say first impressions that win new business every time. For the entire world, the bottom line is that you can get to use PI right now. We've got a special offer from our PI partners. Use the code AIR21 to receive 25% off all plans for your first six months. Info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP for accounting influencers.